0: But clearly it's not seeing with the eyes. Clearly it's not the same kind of perception that we understand as sight. As much as I would love to see, I I remember I was sharing uh, the gospel with a friend and I was explaining to him what I believe. And I was like, I mean, I was like, this is what I believe. I can't point to Jesus on the cross, like right over here in the room, but this is what I believe. So I want to make a, I want to pause here and make a few statements that might be obvious about David's desire to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It, he is, first of all, not talking about literally seeing God. That's, it, it should be apparent, but he's not talking about literally seeing God, he's not even talking about a sight that could be physical. Second, in my opinion, he is not talking about seeing the beauty of God's creation. And in that way, beholding him. I really love, and I want to make this distinction, I love walking around in nature and admiring, and very often, for me, I experience God's presence by leaving in gratitude for the beauty that I see around me. And as much as I love that, it would be easy for us to sort of like build a theology around that and make that nice and, and sweet and perfect. But that is not what David is talking about here. He's talking about a sight that cannot be apprehended by our physical eyes. In the ancient world... There were two essential types of, of religion. There was, well, there was, there's, there's, this is too, maybe too simplified, but, this, but it's not incorrect. There were those that worshiped idols, which are made by human hands, and there are those that worshiped the creation. And both of these things lived in a realm. Of what we can see with our physical eyes. And so, this faith that we've inherited in Judaism and in the Christian faith being proclaimed through Jesus is one that calls us to see beyond what is seen in the natural into what is unseen. Like our faith rests upon an unseen reality, and this was unique. At that time of history, completely unique in the world. When you when you look at the uh, translation of the word "gaze" here in Hebrew, it's it is talking about it like it's it speaks more to visions, prophetic experiences. When you look at the the actual word, trances or experiential knowings. It's it's not like. None of those words even ex- fully explain it. But it is not saying, it's not a word that would translate primarily to seeing with the physical eyes. It is, it is a type of focus. Focus is not even the right word. But, I mean, you know, like you could focus with your eyes, but, but your sight doesn't encompass the word focus, right? So there, there's a word here that we don't exactly have a word for, but it's, but it's beyond just seeing something. It's, it's a consciousness, it's a focus, it's an experience, it's a seeing of God that's more than just natural. So the, NAS, the NASB translate the, translates this as to behold the beauty. I love Eugene Peterson translates this to contemplate the beauty. I still don't think that gets at it, because that can sometimes be just like in our mind. But it's, some, it's a type of knowing and seeing that's beyond sight. Are you with me? And so the life that David was praying for is a life that the the mystics, the Christian mystics, would refer to as, um, in my opinion, as contemplative prayer. Now, I want to pause and say I don't believe that that you know putting it all on contemplative prayer might be an overreach, but for lack of a better category, this morning. I think that when you read what a life of contemplative prayer looks like, like that's kind of what that kind of gets at. Part of what David is asking for here, he's asking for an ability. He's asking for the the privilege to be able to sit down with God in His temple and to experience, no focus, see, behold, gaze upon, prophetically encounter, ecstatically experience, gaze upon beauty of the God, beauty of God. And he's not talking about walking around in nature, I love it. He's not talking about having a conversation with a friend and being reminded about the beauty of God. He's talking about a moment where he comes in to experience God's presence in worship, silence, prayer. Everybody tracking with me? So that's why I think this word contemplative prayer is helpful. So now oftentimes in the prayer, the church, the you know, kind of environment I grew up in. Effective prayer was noticed or measured by the level of energy and passion we had. How I many can relate to that? By its volume, by its possibly its acuity of speech. Like if you dropped a real good wisdom bomb in that prayer, like man, that was that was witty, um, or that was good. Um. Maybe by its length, like, I'm going to pray four hours, you know. How many of you can relate to this? It was not most often demonstrated, almost never demonstrated, by silence. Now we know that Jesus often went to solitary places to be with his Father. We also know that he went to the wilderness for 40 days to be alone with his father. And in that place, he encountered the devil. We know that he was often in prayer, but the amount of words that Jesus, that we get of Jesus' life of prayer, is very, very little. Like, if we're just honest about it, we don't get that many words. Like we have the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed, right? That's kind of, and people want to like do a teaching on unpack every word and make it into a 10 hour prayer. And Jesus is like, pray like this. And he gives a simple prayer. We have this prayer that he prays in John 17 of unity for his disciples. Father, make them one as we are one. Um, we have like, this time when he's holding the bread, he's going to multiply the loaves and fishes and he holds it to the Lord and he thanks God for it. Boom. (laughs) We have him in the garden. If this cup could pass for me, not my will, but your will be done. It's interesting because even the kinds of prayers that move the heart of Jesus were noted for their brevity and belief. Like the blind man who says, son of David, have mercy on me. I I actually like the centurion because the centurion comes to have Jesus um, do this healing for his son. And he says, Jesus asked him, he says, shall I come and heal him? What an incredible question. All the other people, Jesus interacted so differently. Jesus asked him, shall I come to your house and shall I heal him? The centurion responds, um, get my brain back to where it is. Yeah, He's like, I'm a man under authority. When I tell my men to go, they listen. You're a man under authority. All you have to do is say the word. And what does Jesus say? This is one of the most remarkable things. Jesus said, I have not noticed I think he says, I have not noticed a man in all uh, the land of faith like this. His faith was not exampled by the length of his words, the power of his speech. It's his brevity and belief. It was not his ability to express his belief that measured his faith, but but the presence of his belief. It was not his ability to prove his belief in his great words, but the presence of his belief. In Matthew 6, when Jesus talks about prayer, the one little bit that Jesus teaches us, this is how you do it. Jesus says, don't pray like the priests or like the pagans. They try to be seen publicly or babbling on and on forever. He says about the pagans, they think they will be heard for their many, many words. And this is when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. So for all the people who think it it was meant to be unpacked into a two-hour thing, He's like, man, chill out with that. Here's the prayer. So there's two things in this text that I want to become acquainted with in prayer. I want to first become acquainted with The invisible, wondrous beauty of God and his love, I want to gaze upon that beauty. Amen. How many want to gaze upon that? It's like, but I also want to become acquainted with the kind of seeing that David is talking about. What is the kind of seeing? How do I see that way? How do how how do I experience that way? Um like, like I said, I, I, it might be too narrow of a term, but I'll call it contemplative prayer for lack of a better term. David often called it meditation. And I want to read to you a verse in the New Testament that references Moses' glory. I'm just reading some verses at you, less than teaching them lessons shooting them at you this morning. Second Corinthians three, twelve through eighteen, just kind of like let this like sit with you. I don't know. Hear it. Maybe maybe you can see it and hear it beyond natural seeing and hearing. Let it soak in. We'll say that. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face This is the Moses, the face-to-face Moses. So that the Israelites might gaze not not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. I like that translation, unlifted. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this Comes from the Lord. Who is spirit. So what 2 Corinthians is telling us here. That's a great verse. What 2 Corinthians is telling us here. Is Moses had this experience. Of God's glory and his goodness. He had a face to face thing. That is not even to the extent. That you have. Because of Jesus. You can now come with unveiled face. So I want to. There's three things I want to reference from this. And then we're going to. Be, be done. Um, the first thing, I just feel like we should soak this in, is that we get to look with an unveiled face or an unrestricted gaze to behold God. We get to look with an unveiled face, with an unrestricted gaze to behold Upon God. We get to look. With an unveiled face. Or an unrestricted gaze. To behold God. There is no teaching for that. Do we choose to believe it? Amen. Second thing. What Paul is telling us here is that as we do that we will be transformed. We will be transformed. Paul is saying that Jesus, what Jesus um, what David prayed for Jesus answered. And it's a promise. You get to look with unrestricted gaze. But when you do that you Will be transformed. And we all with unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. Contemplative prayer. Is entirely a gift from God. It's something that he gives us. For us to enter into the space of knowing, experiencing, and, and once again, I use the word contemplative prayer because I have no other, I don't, there's, this is like a beyond language thing. For us to come before God, to gaze upon Him, to come into that sp- space of contemplation, it's entirely a gift. And the result of that gift is that we become completely transformed. What are we being transformed into? The image of an invisible God. Every other religion, whether the religion is paganism or capitalism, every other religion has something we can see. It has a result that we can measure, an outcome that we can look at. Doesn't matter whether it's you know, animism, pantheism. God is inviting us to be the image of an unseen God. And as as we behold him, as we come into this space of contemplation upon his beauty, we are transformed into that image. So the way that the world can see the invisible God is how? Through us. So it's essential that we enter into this life. You cannot convince people to follow Jesus with persuasive speech. You do it because you are being transformed, because you're beholding Him. Here's what Merton says about this. Thomas Merton, a monk from the 20th century, he says, There is a movement of meditation expressing the basic Pascal rhythm of the Christian life. The passage of death to life in Christ. Sometimes prayer, meditation, and contemplation are death. A kind of descent into our own nothingness, a recognition of our helplessness, frustration, infidelity, confusion, and ignorance. Note how common this theme is in the Psalms, prayer. If we need help in meditation, we can turn to the scriptural text's that express this profound distress of man and his nothingness and his total need of God. Then as we determine to face the hard realities of our inner life and humbly for faith, he draws us out of darkness into light. He hears us, answers our prayer, recognizes our need, and grants us help we require, if only by giving us more faith to believe that he can and will help us in His own time. This is always already a sufficient answer. He goes on to say, we must approach meditation realizing that the grace and the mercy and faith are not permanent, inalienable possessions, I love this, which we gain by our efforts and retain as though by a right, provided that we behave ourselves well. They are constantly renewed gifts. The life of grace in our hearts is renewed from moment to moment directly and personally by God in His love for us. If we choose to be those who behold, if we choose to be those who gaze upon His beauty, then we will see the mercies of God renewed in us day by day. There's two sides of this whole His mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. Yes. But His mercies are new every day. He's like, come back to me. Amen? See, the type of gaze that that David speaks of is something we receive from God. And it's something that will transform us. Okay, one more point. The first, first was we can behold him unrestricted, unveiled. The second was, as we do that, we'll be transformed. I'm speaking of this like contemplative prayer, coming, setting our gaze upon God. The last thing is, and I have one more long scripture to read you. This comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Let me go back to the text. Uh, Where is my text here? It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Who is the spirit. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 talks about this, that God is spirit. He's discerned by people who walk in the spirit. So like spirit is not just the name of God. It's the substance of God. It's, it's what He is. Does this make sense? Like when we, when we look at a piece of creation, when we look at something man has created, there's a substance, there's an atomic substance to those things. God is spirit. So John 4, 19-24, this is Jesus interacting with a woman in, in Samaria. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. I'm going to use that as an excuse to say woman. <sighs> woman Jesus replied <laughs> believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews yet a time is coming now when the true worshipers will wor- will worship the father in spirit and in truth I mean, remember this for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks God is spirit there's God's substance again and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I want to just pause really quickly on the history. The woman here says, um, you worship in Jerusalem, we worship on a mountain. You worship in your temple in Jerusalem, we worship on this mountain. Um, the Samaritans were like an offshoot like partially Hebrew background. um, But they were like, Israel was split into Judah and and, and Israel and many of those that were part of the Northern Kingdom. I think it's right, Southern is Judah, Northern. I could have backwards. But I think it's Northern Kingdom, Israel. They would have um, married with other people and become a whole new um, ethnicity, which are the Samaritans. The Samaritans still exist to this day. There's like 800 of them left. It's really interesting. They have this still their own distinct practices and they worship in the same way that they did then. Now their temple, they had this place in this mountain that they felt like that they were supposed to worship. To my understanding, it wasn't particularities about the temple, but about the space. And so they worshipped on this mountain and in like 120 years before the time Jesus was born, that, that temple or that high place was destroyed in battle and so they kept worshiping on the mountain because it was about this high place that was a special place in nature in God's creation that they were to worship and so when she asked Jesus she said are we to worship up here on this mountain because they just worshiped outside that was where they did their most holy things Or are we supposed to go worship in the temple that was prescribed by your God, the God of Yahweh? It will not be in nature or in man's creation that we find God. It will not be a perfectly constructed temple. It will not be a beautiful river. All of those things can help, but they're temporary. Jesus says the kinds of worshipers the Father's looking for are those who worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. He is not bound by any of these things. Amen? That blew me away when I was sitting there watching and I was just like this is what Jesus is saying. You can't find a holy place in the world and you can't create a holy place in the world. But you can be a holy place if you behold me. So how do we enter into a life of contemplative prayer to receive, how do we receive this gift? I coach sixth grade girls basketball. And it's interesting. Like one or two of the girls care. <laughs> they all like it. They get to this age, boys are different. They kind of can come. A lot of boys, when they get to Like, I coached fifth grade boys basketball some years ago. And when they get to that age, they're kind of like, if they're into sports, they're like, they're here. Like, it's like, we're here for war, you know? Girls, um, they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And so there's this group text of all the girls in my daughter's grade, and they call themselves the Chatty Chats. And so when I'm trying to explain something, it's like I have to say, Please, please stop. Please stop talking. Please stop talking. Please stop talking. And there's one girl who, she's one of the ones who cares, who always, when I'm about to say something, she's like, "Uh, Coach Sutton. And she wants to tell me all that she knows about this thing that I'm talking about. She's like, but we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do this. I'm like, please just, just shut up for a second. And then there's this other girl who's always talking to the other people and distracting the whole thing. And neither of which help at all in getting the thing across. And this is what I want to say with this. Is that God does not need you in prayer to prove to Him how awesome you are. That is a distraction. And God does not need you always talking to others. Sometimes... If I were to boil down contemplative prayer to one thing, if we want to talk about focus, experience, knowing, beholding, gazing, if I would boil um, down one starting place, it's not the only thing, it would be silence. It's like I can't teach them anything or show them anything until I have silence. And once I have silence, then we might can move to focus. So here's my encouragement to you in contemplative prayer. Read every book under the sun, that's fine. If you will start daily by taking five or ten minutes of silence to just be aware of God in your prayer. Don't tell Him what you need. You don't even have to tell Him how awesome He is. You don't even have to try to prove how awesome you are or how bad you are. None of those things are needed in this moment. All you have to do is be silent and be aware. Amen? And secondly, this is this like two, like all of this reading to two things I'm encouraging you to do silence daily and to let that silence affect the way that you focus and you listen for the rest of the day. you you silence and silence, what silence does before God in prayer is it makes us those who pay attention throughout the day. Just pay attention. We're aware. He might be doing something. He might be working in somebody. I want to read to you a a quick uh, quote from Desert Fathers. It says, a man may seem silent, but if... In his heart, he is condemning others. He is babbling ceaselessly all day. But there may be another man who talks from morning until night who is truly silent. That is, he says nothing that is not profitable. This is not just silence physically. We enter into the silence physically to silent the heart so that we can live with a silent heart so we can pay attention. Amen. All right. Let's let's come to the table um, and we'll go back and we'll and we'll finish with, with communion. So finish here because um the the table of of communion is it's not a it's a simple table, right? When Jesus was leading uh, Israel out in Passover, we get, we get communion at the time of Passover with Jesus. It connects back to them leaving Egypt um, by God's leading to be delivered out into the wilderness into the Promised Land, and they took a meal that was meant to be simple because they were they were to be ready to move with the Spirit. They took, I just think like they took a meal that was meant to prepare them to move. This is a simple meal. It's bread and juice. It's bread and wine. And it's beautiful, but it's it's simple to prepare. And so when we come to prepare a place for God, it's simple. It's silence. It's waiting with Him. But the truth is, while we prepare, He has already prepared the meal. We're preparing a meal, but He's really preparing the meal. So when we come into the place of beholding, to gaze upon Him, His beauty, we can recognize that He is on the other end, making the bread, making the wine to sustain our souls. So, and Jesus did that. Once and for all. We don't have to wait for a life in this afterlife that Jesus has already provided for in this present life. And so I just want us to receive. You can lift the bread and juice. Lord, we thank you for your table prepared. God, I pray that you would help us to enter in to a life of prayer that would be marked by silence, gazing upon your beauty, hearing you. God, help us to make it simple, not complicated. Help us to come before you not judging our own inability or ability or spirituality or lack of spirituality or knowledge of Scripture or lack of knowledge of Scripture. God, help us just to come before You. Simple meal, ready to be led by You. Help us to be silent. And I pray that in the silence of of the contemplative prayer that You would make us those who contemplate Your beauty in all things as well. We thank you, God, for your mercy that are new every day. I pray that we would renew them at the table you've prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. You may receive. Thank you, Jesus. I want to finish with this. February, we are going to we are going to continue our series and we are going to fast together as a community in prayer. We're gonna invite people to a little bit more emphasis to our noontime prayer. We're going to fast. We're going to fast from Tuesday at at sundown to Wednesday at sundown. And we're just going to be seeking God. The reason for this fast is for us just simply to seek God we're not, we're not trying to get anything we just want to allow this moment to orient our hearts and our minds to God and we're going, so we're going to be doing a fast as a community um, and putting some extra, extra special emphasis on that, on that prayer time and then we will finish this series out in a camp out which is tell me the date again 25th and 26th and we will go down there we'll build a fire because you can't encounter God in His creation as well. <laughs> you can't encounter God everywhere and anywhere. Um, but we will we'll build a fire and we will kind of worship and pray together and have a good time. And so we would love for you to be a part of that. That will sort of Like be the finishing point of this time of prayer, but we want to ramp up the emphasis on prayer this next month. We may even be putting out a book that we may read together. There's a little short book on contemplative prayer that's like 100 pages long that if we can get some access to, we may distribute it. We looked at that. Just need to verify some things with that. But we're going to be focusing on prayer from through February, praying as a community. Be aware that we'll be doing that fasting and that praying. And I think that's it. Um, let let me just pray this really quick. Lord, I just pray that there would be a grace and mercy to enter into a new level of just beholding You. God, I pray there would be an impartation on this morning from heaven to pray and to seek You, to gaze upon Your beauty. Do it, Lord, as only You can. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You're just, oh, yes, you can. I just want to say if you are looking for something to do as a family, or maybe you yourself appreciate the theater. My kids are uh, in a a musical called Frozen Junior in the Downtown Garland Theater tonight at 6 p.m. if you want to come out. You're dismissed.